I'm sorry about your friend. My heart goes out to his mother and his family, but that's their problem, Trey. You my son, you my problem. I want you to give me the gun. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. You may have noticed by our social media or whichever app you use to listen to us that we're now known as Search for Cinema. This was a decision we made to better communicate the purpose of our podcast. There are many great film review podcasts out there already, but we wanted to appeal to a wide range of listeners, from the film fanatic to a casual movie viewer. We hope to answer this question of the film we're reviewing. Is it just a movie or is it cinema? This can help the listener decide, should I go back and check out this movie? Do the hosts feel the same way about the movie that I do? Or should I spend my money on this new release? This particular episode is special. Today we're reviewing Boys in the Hood, chosen by Corey. Now before we get into the review, we wanted to take the opportunity to ask you to please, please donate to the Black Lives Matter links that you will find in our description. You can also go to change.org and sign petitions that seek to create positive change to the systemic racism that exists in our country. As three white guys, we seek to speak about this important film in a way that respects and honors the creative minds that made this film a classic. This film is not about us, and the goal is to celebrate more black stories here on Search for Cinema. Boys in the Hood has served us by educating us to realities outside of our own and challenges us time and time again to keep making change. We may get things wrong. We ask for your grace. Please private message us if we say something that could be harmful in any way. Anti-racist work never stops, and we believe it's important to continue educating ourselves to become better allies. We dedicate this episode to George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Eric Garner, Sandra Bland, Tamir Rice, and so many, many more who have been affected by police brutality. And now Corey's going to tell us why he chose this film for the 90s. You know, one of the main reasons I picked this movie, besides just growing up with it and always really liking it, my dad actually, me and Caleb's father rather, uh, always grew up, he always would watch like, more quote unquote like black films like urban films uh menace to society or the movie fresh um this one was always in rotation our, our dad actually grew up uh throughout most of his life either in a barrio like an hispanic hub our dad's half mexican so he, he grew up pretty rough um they moved around a lot because my grandpa our grandpa was a bit of a criminal so i mean they lived everywhere from los angeles to florida and um, lived in either mexican neighborhoods or in all black neighborhoods that were usually pretty um you know, poverty stricken and, and gang ridden and everything else. So, um, we grew up around a lot of these movies cause our dad loved watching them. Um, so that was my first introduction to it. But the reason I picked it for the nineties film, um, for mainly the reason was because the really, and, and by the time the early nineties had rolled around, um, it was really the first time that black culture had kind of come into the forefront of the American sort of psyche you know, at this point, middle America was buying rap records like white kids in the suburbs were listening to NWA and Public Enemy and Nas and everything else um, for the first time. And it was the first time that black art and sort of the black experience was fully embraced. Not that you didn't have moments like, you know, the Roaring Twenties were jazz and of course blues became popular. But like this was the first time that it was um, sort of universally recognized and accepted as a whole, I think for the very first time. Um, and this movie does, um, we'll get into it obviously throughout the course of the review, but this movie does a really good job at shining a light on a world and of a, and of a certain group of people that otherwise society really didn't pay much attention to. And it did so in a very effective way. And so let's get into it. Um, so before we go on, um, everybody, what was your initial reactions? I know uh, Caleb has seen this before. It's probably been a while. Um, I know I, I'm very familiar with it. I don't think Kylan's ever seen it. Um, so I'm interested to see what everyone's sort of reactions no. will be. I, I assume that they'll be pretty different. So what did you guys think? And what what's the rating? What are we looking like out of 1 through 10? So <clears throat> based upon just like the cover of the movie and that – you know, Ice Cube was in it. I thought it was going to be more of a... Uh, I thought there were going to be more comedic elements, but, you know, kind of mixed with some form of realism. But it really was just... Like, there were a few funny moments and everything, but... Yeah, it, it really stuck to 
the issues and just all of the realism. It was on track pretty much the entire time. But it also really, uh, you know, with the characters and everything, you really, you know, for the, the main group of guys in the movie, you really, like, you want to pull for them and you want to see them succeed and kind of, I don't know, branch out or escape from this, you know, shithole that they're put in. But yeah, overall, I just thought the movie, it was it was a very interesting and realistic take on, like what you guys said, something that's so unfamiliar to us and how we were brought up and like it's really crazy to think about you know people actually had to go through this and this was the normal thing um and as far as a rating i'm going to give this probably i'm going to give it a a nine solid solid that was higher than i expected so yeah i had seen this before it it had been seven years or not seven years several years since i've seen it um Mm-hmm. I think you got that idea that it was a comedy from something I had said, and that's how long it had been. <laughs> well, that that and just what I know of Ice Cube, you know, I've seen him in like Twenty One Jump Street and stuff like that. So I thought, you know, although I will say, no matter if it's a serious movie or not, whenever he makes his pissed off face, it's always so funny because it just embodies, you know, that that inner well, mood everybody had at one point. And whenever he has like a, a, a pissed off rage flare up, get the fuck out of my! I always think yeah. of him. Like, <laughs> it makes me laugh. He's because he's really is good at like playing a pissed off dude, but it's been oh, playing yeah. a joke in like obviously the movies because like that's what he was known for. Like when he was in yeah. NWA, you know, when people would talk about those old records and they'd listen to him, they were like, you know, they Ice Cube got so popular and is still regarded as one of the greatest MCs because people would say like, you know, you listened to him come on the track and by the time it was his verse, I mean, you just felt like he was going to come through those mic- that microphone or that speaker and punch you in the face. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. <laughs> he just had that presence on the mic. So um, it's just yeah. kind of funny, the different perspectives, depending on how you were introduced to Ice Cube, uh, how you take, mm-hmm. you know, the role. But anyway, yeah, so that was funny. Yeah. To point out. So when I, when I was younger, uh, my main t- takeaway from this movie really completely revolved around Ricky's death. And like, that's a big part of the movie and we'll, I, I mean, we'll get into it later, obviously, but this movie is saying something at all times. And I think rewatching it now, it's just like everything is social commentary, but everything is also like, so based on reality, John Singleton I didn't know this and learning more about the background of this movie helped me appreciate it more. He was 24 years old when he wrote and directed, directed this. He is actually the uh, youngest director to be nominated for the Oscar for best director beating Orson freaking Wells by two years. So the guy who made citizen Kane, arguably the most important film of all time, John Singleton gets nominated for this Oscar two years younger than he did. So, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. So, I mean, this is, yeah. I, this is probably one of the strongest films for anybody's <clears throat> debut that you could possibly have. Um, yeah. Yeah, going back and watching this now, it's really difficult for me to give this anything but a 10. And I've been given 10s to a lot of movies for these decades, but, like, We've covered some really good movies. So, <laughs> um, but I say yeah. that because something that I mentioned before in my in my ratings personally is like how well did the director, did the actors, blah blah blah, down the list carry out their vision? And it feels like John Singleton is in control of every second. He has intention behind everything he does, and I can't think of any loose ends that he didn't tie up. So yeah, I just. This movie's a 10 for 10 for me. Nice. <clears throat> yeah, so um, I mean, this is uh, one of those movies that um, I watch probably at least once a year. It's one of those I like return to. It's got a pretty, to me at least, it's got a really um, good rewatchability quotient to it. Um, it's good to always revisit it, um, I think, every once in a while. And I, I mean, I, I, it's crazy to think that this was Cuba Gooding Jr.'s Ice Cubes and John Singleton's John Singleton's debut as whether you know, either actor or director and just 
sort of how well yeah. it was put together. Because, you know, especially um, I'm not too keen on Cuba Gooding Jr.'s background. I know Ice Cube, he's he's from like rougher neighborhoods, but he really didn't grow up technically you'd be surprised but he grew up kind of more suburban like it wasn't he didn't live in like the crate like it were you know all of his other contemporaries in nwa did um you know not that he had a squeaky clean coming up but it was way more middle class um and he comes off very mm. convincing in terms of just being the kind of person from the hood that he's portraying he's definitely portraying a sort of an archetype of, of a person that exists and he does it pretty flawlessly um and you know just the way that he comes across in his performance it's it's very restrained even like he didn't go he doesn't go overboard he doesn't you know it it all feels very it comes from a very sort of organic place um and all of them yeah there's no yeah there's no no exaggeration right there's no like excessive bravado or anything like it's it's all very in reality um Mm -hmm. and so i I think i you know who else's film debut this is? Is a uh, Regina King, who is now an Oscar award-winning yeah. actress. So I mean, like, there's just like so many people who are in this for the first time. But Kylan, you know, did you see? She's one of the girls at the barbecue. She's also out when they're out at Crenshaw. She is uh, Eddie Murphy's wife in uh, uh, Daddy Daddy Day. I thought she yeah. looked familiar. That's yeah. who we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah I thought she looked familiar. And let us give a huge shout out to Mr. Lawrence Fishburne, y'all. Yeah, yeah. Dude, Morpheus I love out here red pilling folks. He is... with that speech. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, he we'll is, get to that he later. Is by far, my favorite character in this movie. Yeah, yeah. For, for real. Um, yeah, but no, this there's there's a lot of uh, prominent African American um, actors and actresses in this film. Um, mm-hmm. and it just, you know, perfect casting all around. But, um, you know, I think I've pretty much said all I can say in terms of my initial reaction and like, you know, my familiarity with this film in terms of rating it one through 10, honestly, it's kind of surprising that I have the lowest score amongst you. Um, but I give it, and I, and it was really hard for me to think of a rating just because I was kind of thinking of it. I always try to think of in context, the other movies I've rated, um, because yeah. I don't want to get caught up in the moment and inflate my score because I know like, for example, I've given Goodfellas like a nine and a half and I've given Jaws like an 8.2, you know, so I don't want to be like, mm-hmm. say something and then like, you know, like I said, just rate a certain movie way higher or lower than I intend to. So within the context mm-hmm. of, of just everything, I give it probably a solid 8.5. Um, right on. Yeah. So, I mean, again, anything eight and above to me is absolutely stellar recommend must watch. Um, they're just different degrees of classics, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's where I stand on that one. Um, but then, so you I know, I think we'd it, all it, agree that this is a uh, cinema, huh? Oh, oh, for, yeah. oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> very um, much so cinema. It's very yeah, important. Eight and a half. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, it's important cinema. And we'll get into all the reasons why, or why we think it is. Um, also, I mean, throughout the course of this thing, but, uh, kind of going to our next spot here. We've all sort of discussed and touched on this a little bit just in the short time we've discussed, but this film is very much, uh, it's very morally grounded. Um, it's a mm-hmm. morally grounded film that speaks on many aspects of growing up in the ghetto. Um, however, the, the film is able to avoid coming off as too preachy. You know what I mean? Um, for, for how sort of our, for how sort of, um, I guess directly it takes a moral stance on certain issues. So uh, how yeah. do you guys think, like what, what was the key here for you guys? Like, how did you think, I'm, I'm assuming you guys thought it didn't come off as too preachy. If you did, then, I mean, obviously please feel free to eject, but like, how do you think that the movie was able to accomplish this sort of feat? I didn't think it was too preachy. I mean, the story sticks to the realism of growing up in, you know, eighties and nineties ghetto. And, I think it balances the real life situations with the cinematic drama um, in a way that it really can't come off as preachy because it's just a perfect mirrored image of reality. Maybe it wouldn't be like, I agree. I don't think this movie comes off as preachy at all, but maybe that um, is the thing that we need. (laughs) These issues continue to happen and we'll get more into that later. So, I mean, obviously people need to be shaken, maybe even lectured to. But um, my main reasoning for saying that it's not preachy is just pretty much that to a large part or to a large degree, this movie is autobiographical. I mean, 
John Singleton has mentioned that he sees a lot of himself in Trey in his upbringing and being able to um, make it in Hollywood and go to film school and be successful was his way out. And uh, Columbia Pictures actually did not want him to direct this movie. And (laughs) Singleton said, this is a direct quote, Hell no, I'm not going to let somebody from Idaho direct a movie about living in South Central Los Angeles. They can't come in here and cast it and go through the rewrites and know exactly what aesthetics are unique to this film. Mm. So John Singleton is saying, I grew up in South Central, so I'm going to tell this story because other people are not going to know what it's like living there. So that is one of it. It's just that it can't really be preachy when this is your exact like experiences pretty much second of all i think this movie even though there's specific teaching moments especially like with furious and trey there's a lot of um themes or messages that are carried through through dialogue that isn't directly talking about the issue or it's inferred or it's through something in the background um good example is in the opening scene when they go and they check out that like body parts kind of splattered on the sidewalk and they're explaining that plasma turns yellow when it's separated from the body and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you see the 84 Reagan and Bush poster oh, in the yeah. background with bullet holes. So <laughs> yeah, yeah so dude flips it off. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's why I'm just like, why I give this movie a 10 out of 10. Cause if you really like pay attention to all the little details that are in there, John Singleton doesn't have to preach. He is being a master at carrying the the messages that he wants to carry throughout the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my whole thing with this um, and the reason it comes off as heartfelt and not like too preachy, like we were saying earlier. Um, so John Singleton, obviously, like he alluded to, he chooses to point his camera at like real social issues taking place in certain communities. Um and its effectiveness, I think, can be summed up in just um, a really kind of a funny short example. But um, when this was shown at uh, the Cannes Music Festival upon its release, it was greeted with a 20-minute standing applause slash ovation uh, from a largely wealthy, elite, white audience. Um, it was very well received as soon as it was released. Um, and what's funny, though, is that the movie to me if you actually observe or know anything about sort of what goes on in these these areas in certain um certain cities around the country it's actually pretty watered down in terms of the actual gritty real life despair violence drug addiction that's even depicted in this film even though this film mm-hmm. goes there but for example you know the rapper easy e who's actually the the song he you know, is famous for is the namesake of the film um, when he saw it, he, of course, he, he actually liked the film, but he did say on the record that um, the, uh, he called the film, I think he said something like it's a Monday after school special, but with cursing. Um, and I think that although that's um, like a, sh- a bit of a shallow criticism, I know what he means because the realities of the situation um, are much more stark than even this film proje- projects. Um, and I think yeah. there's a reason for that. Um uh, you know, for example, I think mainly that's a, a creative choice by John Singleton. I think that was a, the right choice because the tenderness with which Singleton treats the characters of this film, as well as the film's subject matter as a whole, is both a deliberate and important stylistic choice. Like I kind of just repeated myself, but <laughs> I view it as, um, I guess, his attempt to humanize a people in an environment that is like tragically dehumanized, both internally, whether it's, you know, their own gangs and drugs that ravage the area and also externally society at large, um, which at the time, especially, um, and still to this day chooses to ignore this reality. Um, that the very last line in the film, well, not very last, but one of the last lines in the film delivered by ice cube, where he talks about how the news covers all of this horrific violence and death and destruction of these foreign lands far away on the news 24 seven, there wasn't a single mention of his brother who was slain for no reason at all in his own neighborhood. And he said uh, that, you know, either they don't know, don't show or don't care what's going on in the hood. And Mm -hmm. um, it's easy to lose sight of that because back in the day in NWA as controversial as a group as they were, um, 
it was for all the right reasons because when they released records about the realities of what were going on, it's because journalism really had no interest in showing you any of this stuff. Um, it, it was just chalked mm-hmm. up to just another dead black body on the streets. You know, they would show like the crack epidemic and stuff, but it was always in this vein of just sort of sensationalizing and fear mongering. There wasn't really any way of showing that this community, although ravaged by a lot of violence and, and just, you know, carnage and drugs and everything else um there are real people living here um good people who are just literally just trying to survive and through no fault of their own find themselves in these situations and circumstances um by forces that really have are out of their control too um you know um so again we'll get into that as this podcast goes on but i thought that singleton's choice of instilling a lot of heart and tenderness into this subject matter while still not, not that he sugarcoated the bleakness of it, but I love the balance he struck with it being this coming of age drama that um, really just humanizes this situation, which I think is something that white America needed to see because it's easy to demonize and, and sort of fear. Uh, if you just think that there's nothing there, but just gangs and violence and ugliness and not really seeing it's easy to not see the people living in these communities as people. It just it makes them less savage in the eyes of people that don't know what's going on. They just see what's on the news. So, uh, very important film for that reason alone, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, now, next question. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, anyway, so having said that, um, that this is a kind of a coming of age film. Let's talk about how the film uses its moral framework to guide the fate of the group of friends and how their individual lives sort of take completely different trajectories. What was Singleton trying to say? with the way he portrayed these characters and their ultimate destinies, do you think? Um, in a way, and it kind of goes into, you know, what Furious was talking about, is that um, a lot of the characters that are depicted in this film, like, it's basically just that the system for which they live in, like, it's just kind of fixed for them to not really go anywhere. Yeah, no, it's yeah, definitely card stacked against them. Um, it's it's funny because you know it, it, it he does he does definitely show you the reality of the environment in terms of um, it, it's very much just a very guideless and hopeless place for a lot of people. There aren't a lot of real role models around for a lot of these kids, um, no, except for the except with the exception being of course the protagonist. Um, you know, with Furious, which is at first, you know, when he when you're first introduced to the character, he definitely uh, comes off as this, you know, iron fisted yet wise parenting approach kind of deal. And it's like, it's, yeah. you know, as soon as his friends, uh, when his mom drops him off to live with his father, his two friends for, for yeah. making him uh, rake the leaves and do all of this um, sort of hard work because he's trying, he, you know, he's a military man. He, he knows this environment that he grew up in. Um, and he, he's trying to instill and overcompensate a sense of discipline and respect and honor that otherwise isn't going to be taught to you because it's, it's, a, it's a crazy situation trying to be a parent in this environment where, you like I said, you have to overcompensate um, to even have a shot at raising a well-adjusted functioning adult. Um, everything around you is meant to trap you, to kill you, to just tear your life to shreds. Um, even with the most, you know, dedicated parent that Furious was and his mother was, it's still you see glimpses of how easy it could have been. And there's many times in the film where he the son can be drifted into committing acts of violence or doing drugs or having crazy, you know, protected sex and having a kid before he's 16. You know, all of this shit that just yeah. it's a miracle. It's truly is a miracle, even with the proper parental but um, yeah, the the one thing that really stuck out to me was, you know, how furious when he was given that whole speech r- relating to where these guys are going to go in their lives. You know, he was basically explaining the system and community which African Americans generally populate. That you know, they are just structured for failure. You know, they make harmful indulgences so accessible, and any road for a better life has to be paved by. The individual because the system just wants to see them fail yeah can i just say how incredible this opening scene is for this movie and this is one of the ways where it isn't actually expressed that much through dialogue but 
all we see is kids on their way to school away from parents, which and parenting is an important part of this movie. But you see these group of kids as they're walking to school, witnessing somebody on the side of the street getting their ass beat. And then they say, hey, you want to go see something cool? There's pieces of meat and blood from humans laying on the ground. And then they get to school, and then the dialogue kicks in more, and you get this uh, just lesson from this teacher who is explaining basically white history. Yeah. And explaining the pilgrims <laughs> and how the Native Americans got along and all that crap that's not true. Yeah. Um, and then you, you learn that this little kid, Trey, knows the truth, knows that human beings originated from africa the first human body was found there so like technically we're all descendants of the continent Mm. and you just kind of get to the point where like okay like trey knows something that these kids don't know and then immediately after we cut to his mom talking to the teacher who's being very condescending and assuming that she's not educated and that the that trey doesn't have a father and we learn she's going for her master's Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we go on to meet Furious, who is a educated man in a different way. And it kind of happens like on a, on a spectrum. You get Ricky, who has his mother who loves him. He's like the miracle child. Reminds me of like Joseph in the Bible. Like she worships this kid. And then you get Doughboy, who has really nobody who loves him. And not only does he have nobody who loves him, but his own mother is constantly calling him worthless and fat and all these things. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just kind of like, you know, you get Trey growing up who is completely on the right track, it seems. Ricky, who is doing pretty well, but, you know, has a child. And then you have Doughboy, who is the most is the person who has been the most influenced by the environment that he's growing up in. But it's just like, man, this kid was shown no love. <laughs> And then you surround yourself with a bunch of people and situations where there's constantly crack being brought in to the neighborhood. There's gun stores on every corner, as they say in the, you know, the big scene. And there's liquor stores on every corner. It's just like. Then we get to a part in the movie that's basically the the cornerstone tragedy, uh, which is Ricky's death scene and his family mourning, which is really one of the most difficult scenes to watch in the film. Um, the director forced yeah. you. Yeah, I mean, he. It usually scenes like this would be over within a matter of a couple minutes, um, but th- this the scene goes on for quite a bit. The director really does force you to dwell on this tragedy for a significant amount of time. And I kind of mm. wanted to discuss with you guys one of the prevalent themes in the film, which is one of the most prevalent themes in these areas, which is um, the theme of the cycle of death and revenge and how it plagues these communities. And I thought it was really interesting the way it plays out. Um, so I wanted to see if you guys had any thoughts on on that. Yeah, I mean, just on the subject of revenge as itself, you know, it's totally corrosive to that person and everybody around them. Uh, because, you know, no positivity comes out of it. And, you know, seldom does anybody feel better after you know, attempting to get revenge, you know, it's just bringing them down to, you know, that other person's level instead of trying to pull somebody else up. It's just, you know, people pushing each other down. Yeah. I love what the, one of the things I I loved about the way the scene plays out beyond just the whole, um, you know, watching um, Cuba's character, Trey Mm. uh, struggle with what he's taught and what he knows to be the correct way from him, his dad constantly preaching about how the system is designed in a way that it's basically wanting black men to just continue to kill each other. And Mm. it it ultimately is what saves him from committing this act. But I, I love what happens with ice cubes character. And I think that his, what happens after he seeks revenge and gets revenge on the, the bloods that, killed his brother for literally no reason at all um Mm -hmm. it didn't make it shows you the real effects and impacts of when life is treated frivolously in this way um and he you know at the end of the film is just this sad shell and he talks to trey a bit on the porch about 
Uh, he's like, I know why you left that day and didn't go ride with us to do what we did. Cause I, was, I still, it still fucks with me. It still fucks with my head. Um, yeah. And just creates this PTSD and he's, you know, and it shows him sort of like selling crack and just kind of do, he falls into the same pitfalls that just, it breeds itself. And it's like, you know, it, and it's really crazy. I mean, when you, I, I've, if you watch like certain like interview shows or certain videos of like, especially like say Chicago rappers, like nowadays from the drill movement, if you listen to like them describe, like a lot of these kids are like 20 years old, 18 years old. And when they sit there and try to recall all of the friends that they know that have been killed and it's in the couple mm-hmm. of dozen couple of dozen and you're 20 years old and you've seen bro- your cousins, brothers, fr- most people will go their whole lives, not knowing that many people that are close to them that have passed away and much less in a violent way. Um, yeah. And it's, it's absolutely insane. You know, the, the term Chirac that was coined, um, in like the last decade because of how many murders took place. The reason it got the name was for two reasons really, but one of which was that, and I think it was the I think it was the year of 2012 or 13, somewhere in there. Um, more people died in the, and Chirac refers to really just a few neighborhoods on the South side. It's not even a nickname that is attributed to the whole city, but in a, in a few square blocks in a single city in America being Chicago, Illinois, more people died there in a, this in a year then were killed in the entirety of the soldiers that were killed in the war in Iraq that was taking place that year. Um, that is and absolutely nuts. It's absolutely crazy. It's in our backyards. We're both, we're all from Illinois. We're all yeah. Illinois boys. And that's happening mm-hmm. no less than two, three hours away from our front porch. And the other reason that it was attributed this name was that when they, they take kids from these environments, like little kids, um, elementary school, and they, um, get them to see psych- psych- psychologists. A lot of them are diagnosed with the same level of PTSD that people who were soldiers in war experience, who are seeing people get blown up and mm-hmm. like they have, they have this trauma and it's, it's just, and it just breeds itself, man. I mean, there's no, it, it's, it's quite, it is, a, it's, when you look into it, it's a very hopeless and, and just terribly sad situation that, that we find ourselves in, in this country. Yeah. And that's not even including the police brutality and all this, you know what I mean? Like all the, I mean, this is just what happens within the neighborhoods, much less mm-hmm. all the forces working outside of the neighborhoods that are, you know, ramming these. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah, I, I do too. That was just to get the sparks going. <laughs> just, just quickly. So I don't forget it. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned that stat um, comparing it to the Iraqi war. Yeah. Um, given that this movie s- several times mentions that uh, Furious says and Trey says to Ricky, you know, my dad said, or you know, Furious himself says, black man have black man has no place in the army. It's just so true, and that that part or that just even that single line, that piece of advice, reminds me of um, just recently, Drew Brees made his stupid comment about it being dishonoring to the flag and people explain to him, it's not about the troops. You know, that's not what this fight is about, but Shannon Sharp said on his ESPN show with Skip Bayless that, um, you know, so many black soldiers died in the past for a a war and to come back to a country where they weren't even free. Yeah. I was also going to mention just like how many times, this idea is kind of woven out and how Ricky's death kind of ties the bow on all of these themes right from the get go. When Trey moves in with furious first night there, somebody breaks in the poor kid is just getting up to go take a pee two shots fired right from his own hallway. Yeah. And it's, it's just like, okay, you have to like constantly, protect yourself because you never know who's going to break in and shoot you or, you know, what's going to happen. But, mm-hmm. and then I had another interesting thought and I looked it up and it turned out to be true. When the kids are walk, walking around with a football and they're going down the train tracks and one of the kids, the kid, little kid with the curls, I can't remember what his name is. I know he still mm-hmm. grows up and he's a friend with Adobe boys. And uh, he's like, you guys want to see a dead body? Yeah, yeah, it turned into Stand by Me for a minute. 
Yes. I, okay. Thank you. <laughs> I I heard that line and I was like, this is Stand By Me. Yeah. And then I looked it up and John Singleton did take influence from that movie, but just like the contrast of white kids who had to travel far and wide down their train tracks to discover a dead body. <laughs> it's mm. like for these kids, it's in their own backyard. Yeah. And the thing is that the body's just chilling there because nobody has cared enough to come pick it up. It's not because yeah, nobody it's knows so much it's more there. of a norm. Yeah, and so, I mean, these kids are constantly surrounded by death, but we've already talked about stupid white arguments that people make, like black-on-black crime. The thing that I I think is so important in this, and even with Ricky's death, is that you can be good kids like Ricky and Trey who are taking full advantage of the very minimal opportunities they're given in their community Mm -hmm. and still end up dead. Yeah. From something as stupid as nudging somebody too hard at a party. Yeah. And yeah. that's the point. It do, it's not just because, oh, if you broke the law, then the cops won't mess with you. If you did this and you did that, you won't find yourself in harm's way. That's what totally privilege? That... What privilege? A thing that John Singleton does that's great through the event of Ricky's death is, in one word to me, resilience. We see resilience in Trey, and we we honestly see it in Doughboy. And Doughboy is, it's a hard character, man. I I feel for him so much. He's probably my second favorite character behind Furious. You just can't help but feel feel for this guy. Um, but one of the things that I love is that Trey is such a good kid throughout the movie, and you can't you can, kind of can't help but just like like him. The worst thing that he does is try to get his longtime girlfriend to sleep with him. But he's a 17-year-old kid, you know. And um, this poor kid sees his childhood best friend get shot, I mean, brutally, right in front of him. And he's got his blood-soaked clothes on as he's carrying his best friend into his family's house. And his mom is screaming and the whole family's screaming. And I... I love the look on Cuba Gooding Jr.'s face when he walks out and tells Doughboy to meet him in five minutes. He has that blank, but like blank stare, but it's intentional. You know, you know, he's thinking something serious. He's just like overwhelmed with emotion. You see the switch go off in his mind of like, absolutely primal rage. And and yeah, like one of the, my favorite scene probably um, happens just, I think, a scene or two before that, and you kind of get the idea that Trey was headed for this. So it makes sense once he arrives there. But um, the scene I'm talking about starts, and his girlfriend is just upstairs doing her homework, and she gets startled because she hears gunshots in the distance, and she slams her pencil down, and then Trey's at the front door, and she can kind of tell something's wrong at first, and she, like, has him come in, acts like everything's fine, but then goes back and asks him, are you okay? And then he does that cry. Yeah. And then that like kind of anger, just like talking at nobody, but like punching the air. And he's like, I'm so sick of this shit. I'm so sick of this shit. And it's just like, man, that kid, you know, he has a good heart, but when you're constantly surrounded by this shit, everybody has a breaking point. Yeah. You can only take it for so long. And that's one of the points, too, is that you don't know what it's like, people who try to critique what it's like in the black community. You don't know what it's like day in and day out. I was just saying about about that scene, too. What I love about it as well is that it it kind of indirectly quotes one of Ice Cube's most famous lines. I can't remember which song it is for the life of me right now, but it's in an NWA song where it says – black peace officer sh- uh, showing out for the white cop or something like that where because the cop that continually mm-hmm. harasses these kids is that black dude who's like super just I- more aggressive than any white cop that's shown and that was a deliberate choice on john singleton's part to kind of demonstrate that like even though there are black people in the police force and even though there are black people who are judges and sit at points of power that if you're co- i mean it, it doesn't really matter when the systemic the issue is a systemic one and that they're participating in a system that is sort of by design meant to oppress a certain group of people. And that is a true psychological phenomenon where these cops, 
that are in this environment or it's like, okay, I'm accepted by this like sort of greater white community. I'm a police officer, this, that, and the other. So I'm going to go even harder to show that I'm not like one of these other black folks out here. I'm different. You know what I mean? I'm not like them. I'm this. And so you get this extremely when, when furious tells him when uh, you know he comes over after the shooting when uh, his house gets broken into and the cop says something along the lines of well shame you didn't hit him there'd be one less i think he says the n-word uh, out here in the streets you know blah 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 stealing and and furious just looks at him with disgust and then he's like we got a problem and then furious's response is oh we got a problem but it's just a shame you don't know what it is brother yeah <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like they, so I, I really thought that was an important um inclusion in this and you know because of course you know the scene before he's getting the cops putting a gun in his face and then his own people are putting a gun in his face uh like it just from every angle you're just getting just shit on and brutalized and yeah that was that was i'm glad you brought that scene up because i forgot to include that surprisingly it's my favorite scene too or one of them Mm -hmm. yep and then the difference to me in the end when doughboy goes out and tries to hunt down the, you know, his brother's murderers and trade finally decides to get out. I think the reason he did that is just before he snuck out the window, when he, when furious catches him trying to get the gun and he gets the gun back, you get that moment of compassion from furious just saying like, give me the gun. And then after he hugs him and is like, I love you, I'm not going to lose you over some bullshit. And just like that tenderness that you mentioned before that John Singleton chose to include in this is like, man, that's, that's the shit that makes the difference. Yeah. Was just somebody to show anybody a lick of compassion in these situations. Like the man just lost his best friend. I mean, Kylan, Kylan, can you imagine just like seeing me brutally shot just right in front of your eyes and then having to fight the urge to not, get revenge in some way oh yeah no they'd be they'd be done (laughs) yeah it's just like it's like you're asking a lot asking a lot (laughs) same even in cube's position like my own brother like (laughs) like forget about it seriously forget about it like and no one gets a thing when you're watching it it's almost like the thing is crazy about it too. Like you're, you're almost, you're rooting for him to kill this ducker. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. everything in you screams like, yeah, it's just, you know, it's justified. It's yeah, it's what I would do. But then I, again, I, I said this before, but I love the inclusion that he shows John Singleton shows in the character when he wrote him, which was the guilt he experiences after committing it. It didn't, it didn't make anything other than a hole even bigger in his heart that he has to numb with whatever's around him, which unfortunately is more guns, crack, alcohol, liquor, you know, whatever. Um, and it's, it's just one of those things, man. Like, yeah, a lot of people, that's a thing. A lot of people can't even fathom that shit. A lot of people can't even fathom what it's like to be hungry. You know what I mean? Like most people are so silver spooned that they don't even realize it. And they judge these communities. And it's like, you haven't gone a day without having something to eat or being told that I you felt love or compassion or like you've never had to experience the kind of temptation of justice when you're just seeing all this around you that's just constantly berating you and beating you and even taking your loved one like and you include the fact that you know like this doughboy had no shot in hell how much rage and pent up anger and frustration from everything going on from your mother hating you and, be, you know, like into the, the, the police and fucking with you all the time and other sets and other neighborhoods, you know, it's, it's crazy. And you know. another thing that is so impactful in that final scene with Trey and Doughboy, um, one is just like, it made, it really like made me stop and take a deep breath. Cause it was a heavy line, but Doughboy is just talking about, right after he got done saying, like, nobody knows shit about my brother. Like, no, nobody's really mourning him except for, like, us. He says, like, shit, man, I don't even have a brother. And just, like, that realization, that there's some, just that line, it's, it just hits you so hard because it's like, man, there's, you know, it's concrete. It's, this is what happened. There is no going back. You don't have a sibling anymore. He's not alive. Mm-hmm. And then, um, like I said, I think the difference between Trey getting out of the car and Doughboy is that kindness that his father showed him. And then I kind of see Trey passing that and extending that to Doughboy with that final line. Like, Doe, 
you still got one brother, man. And the, one of the things that's so interesting about the scene to me is that when Doughboy is approaching Trey's house, you see somebody come and do a drug deal with him. Just real subtle handshake thing. And then on the way back, after leaving Trey's house, after they had that honest discussion, Doughboy's pouring out his drink. So you get th- this idea that he recognizes how much pain was behind um, killing that guy and having to live with that guilt and then finding a brother in Trey and having that like love extended to him finally. And you kind of get this idea. He's pouring out his drink. He might have the opportunity to change. And then you get that slide. It says two weeks later, he was dead. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, damn, man, how many people are we just losing before they get the chance to really make something of themselves? Yeah, and and that's that's what's important, man. Because it's not, it's not just that you know this is the black community. It's not just that these were gangbangers. It's not just that these were drug dealers. These are human beings, who are our fellow Americans. Who, um, it's it's kind of it literally infuriates you when you hear things like "pull you up by the bootstraps" mantra. It's it's like when Martin Luther King famously said, and when asked about sort of well, why can't people just sort of put pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Uh, King said something to the f- effect of, I find it quite ironic and interesting and almost comical about the fact that you would suggest that we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps when we don't have boots. And it's, you know, you show me, you know, talk about if you just make choices, you show me the choices, you show me the opportunities that are available to you from the corner of Crenshaw and freaking South Central. And like, it show yeah. me what opportunities you see that, that these kids genuine, like that they have, you know what I mean? And it's just like, it's so tone deaf and it's so simplistic that it's, it's something that if you even just had the slightest bit of curiosity, you would know is just sort of very fallacious form of reasoning. And um, that's why you need, you know, movies like this. That's why you need art forms like this. It's why you need hip hop records like this, um, you know, that that express something that other, you know, stories and people that otherwise wouldn't be told. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I think Furious's speech is definitely probably the resolution of this movie, because that is the explanation as to why everything else that happens in the first act and the third act are going to happen are happening, because I mean, I think there could be racist people that tr- try to check out this movie and be like, see, they have all these problems. Here's the pretend solutions. And then Furious is like, no, it is not us. It is intended for us to kill each other because these things are placed here for us. These things are placed here. Drugs are brought in. Education is terrible. I, there's a little throwaway comment in there after they take the SATs where Furious says, you know, those standardized tests are biased. I mean, towards anybody, really, that's not white anyway. So he's even given them a break on the test that they're taking because it's like, man, you're kind of set up to fail with those two. And of course, you get the heartbreaking moment where Ricky had to get a 700 and he got a 710. Mm-hmm. Just yep. another his just ticket tough out. Moment, his man. ticket out was received the same day his life was taken. Yeah. Yep. So it's just like, yeah, you completely you'll completely miss the point of this movie if if you want to use it to further your own agenda, but. Furious is providing the answers that you do not blame the victims. For sure. Bottom line. Bottom line. <laughs> yeah. Amen. <laughs> yep. Every moment. Yeah. Here, every minute, here, every day. Here was one of my takeaway thoughts because um, we get to the end here and, you know, how relevant is this movie today? I mean, extremely. Um, the thought that I the thought that I had in response to that is, out of the movies that I've seen so far, this is the film I would go to to explain to somebody why and how racism still exists post the civil rights movement. Absolutely. To say issues with police and I mean, just go on and on and on. These problems from this 1991 film are just as prevalent today. And that's an issue. And I'm glad it seems like our generation and Gen Z are really pushing to make changes. I just hope that we are able to keep our foot on the gas and really not let up. Well, because we, you know, things get hyped for a moment, the, and then yeah. it seems like the crowds dissipate. They they do get hyped for a moment. I totally agree with that. And 
I think I agree. I hope we can keep our foot on the gas, but eventually we're going to be driving the car, you know, because as older generations and ignorance dies out, you know, some of that is carried on into, you know, certain sections of the next generation. But I think that margin is growing thinner as, you know, we evolve. I think that's I think that's true um, to a very large degree. You see that there's a lot of trends that um, are generational that seem to be just irreversible at this point in terms of just mm-hmm. attitudes towards certain things. And I do think that as more older generations and ideas die out, of course, it won't eradicate the problem, but it definitely will loosen the grip on because, mm-hmm. you know, with this film and what I think our generation to give us credit and younger generations understand that other generations seem to struggle with is the concept of and the difference between systemic institutionalized racist sort of bits that are still remnants and left over from years past versus individual racist attitudes that people have and to this film's credit it does a great job at focusing strictly on the systemic issues because there's not a single scene in here that depicts some white redneck with his fucking confederate flag daisy duke car honking and you know what i mean like in in causing it's it shows none of that it only alludes to the systemic problems it only alludes to the bigger picture and it doesn't allow itself to get sidetracked by this individual racism that it seems to be the only sort of racism the boomers and older generations can under fucking stand um, which why it makes it why it's hard yeah. for them to, con- to conceptualize what we're even talking about and we're just sort of talking past one another i feel like um so mm-hmm. yeah and um yeah and correct me if i'm wrong the only white person in the movie was that other cop and um whenever uh I can't think of the name. I don't even know if they gave the names in the movie. The the black officer that was harassing Trey. Um, when all that was going on, the other, like the white cop, he was over on the side. Like he even, you know, felt uncomfortable in that moment. You could see it on his face. Yeah, he reached the point where he was just like, what the hell are you doing, man? Yeah. <laughs> Too but far! I, there's that cop and then the, the, the white teacher. Yeah. Other than that, I can't think of anybody else. Yeah. Oh, yeah, teacher. Just yeah. watch so, this movie, y'all. Yeah, check this movie out. I mean, like I said, it's not, it's just, it's a perfect, it's very entertaining. It's very enlightening, very heartfelt. Um, again, I, I think it's it's definitely a must see, especially for anyone that hasn't watched it. I think it's aged really well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think it's timeless. So check it out if you haven't already or revisit it if it's been a while. So it's my recommendation. <laughs> this is one of the, the sad instances where shit this aged well yeah yeah it reminds me of that the, the pictures taken of like the older people at protests that are holding up the signs like i can't believe i still have to protest this shit yeah, <laughs> yeah. but yeah um definitely check out this movie um i continue to learn something from it every time that i rewatch it and i've rewatched it like four or five times for this podcast mm-hmm. And uh, we can't forget uh, Black Lives Matter.